Hello, everybody. Welcome to today's episode of the Event Industry News Podcast. My name is James Dixon, and as always, wishing you a very good morning, afternoon, or evening, whenever or wherever you join today's podcast from. Um, and on today's show, I'm delighted to welcome a guest who I'm sure is going to offer us some insight, some intrigue into their own world of the events industry. Uh, Mr. Aaron Kaufman joins us from Toronto. Aaron is the president of Fifth Element Group. Aaron, thank you very much for joining us today. Yeah, of course. And thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here and all the way across the pond from Canada. So uh, looking to bring some insight for you guys for sure. Aaron has already given me uh, sort of carte blanche, if you will, to ask him anything and, 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 and seek a response on any element of, of the industry. So we'll, we'll test his knowledge and I'm sure get some great opinion today. But, but before we get into, I suppose, some, some Q&As, Aaron, tell us a little bit about Fifth, Fifth Element Group, your own professional experience in the industry and what it is you guys do. Yeah, for sure. So Fifth Element Group is a full-serve leading live experience firm based out of Toronto. We work all over North America and our mandate really is to create live experiences for brands, corporations, foundations. Mm -hmm. uh, we do that with a, a very kind of 360 degree view of an event. So um, we design internally, we produce internally, and ultimately that allows us to bring a cohesive vision to events. Mm -hmm. um, you know, like many of the other companies around, I think, uh, you know, we offer, um, you know, industry leading creativity. And uh, I think we've been recognized for our work all around the world and uh, excited to kind of continue to scale and grow as, as we're able to do more. How long have you been, uh, been doing this as Fifth Element? It feels like a hundred years, um, but but uh, we're we're bordering we're bordering on sixteen years right now. Uh, we've always been really keen to keep it, um, you know, maybe an overused term, but but very boutique feeling in that we feel like um, you know one to one. Uh, that's how we're always able to offer kind of a really exclusive vision into what a client's trying to do, rather than bringing in teams and tons of partners to try and execute on a vision. Sure. What, what led you to, um, to, 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 you know, uh, to this stage now where you sit as, as president of, of the group? You know, were, did you work in the events prior to Fifth Element? Yeah, so, I mean, you know, I had, um, I had some pretty interesting jobs in and around live events in general before I started Fifth Element. Uh, but the reason Fifth Element came to fruition was simply because uh, I looked around at the industry and what I saw at the time um, was people trying to get in and figure it out. And, and I thought that the, um, you know, there was a real gap in the industry whereby, you know, you had a producer, let's say, and that producer would get a brief from a client and then he would call, I'm going to date myself here, but he would call a chair cover company, a different linen company, a rental company, a lighting company, a DJ company, a games company, you know, a flower company. And he would basically give everyone a little bit of money to play with. Yeah. Right. And, and really there was no kind of perspective on what a client wanted, what their return needed to be, um, you know, what they were looking for in terms of a mandate for their event. And then that producer would either upcharge a little bit or, or, you know, figure out how to make some money and, and return yeah, sure. something back that all, yeah, it ultimately just didn't work. Right. And so the, the, the real, the real, uh, you know, the real interesting part for me was kind of bridging the management and design into one firm. Yeah. So that now as a company, and it's become more, you know, in the last 10 years, it's become something that people have done, obviously, and built companies. But uh, for me, it was about the idea that we would be able to execute on a client vision from beginning mm. to end, from A to Z. Um, yeah. And that and just didn't exist. 
you've not got that fragmentation anymore, have you? Because you've reeled off a, lo a load of, you know, obvious suppliers that people are going to use, you know, AV, DJ, flowers, chair sure. covers, da, 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 da. and you've got all these different vans or trucks turning up with different people who don't talk yep. to each other, who all right. do their own little thing and work in their own little world and then disappear. And then you look at the overall event, you think, oh, what a shame. We could have got the chair covers to match the lighting and we could yep. have got the DJ to match what he's doing here. And sure. just a bit of joined up thinking. You know, and the other shitty part of the whole thing was that when you go out to any vendor, right, um, it, you really look at it from this perspective that you never go out to a vendor and say, okay, I have, you know, arbitrarily $1,000 for this service, and they come back to you with a quote for 999 right? So you, <laughs> you're, you, you're always 10 to 20% over on each quote because understandably vendors are trying to sell you more, right? So okay. if, if you have a $10,000 event and you have seven vendors in, you're going to get quotes equaling $11,000. Now, how do you sort of piece to get rid of $1,000 through seven vendors? It never really works. So, mm. you know, the more that you're able to control internally. So what my firm does is we do, do all of the design internally. So we come up with the AV layout, the decor layout, the builds, the design and everything. And then if we need to, we'll use a special carpenter, for example, to build a wood flat. But we're able to tell him, here's exactly what we want. We know how much it should cost. Build it. Right. Yeah. So we don't go out to them and go, what do you think we should do? What's your design idea? How much will it cost? Yeah. Right. And so we're able to control a lot of the variables um, internally and kind of create greater experiences for our clients. What level of detail does that dive down into? Because we reeled off some obvious suppliers, but you know, when you come sure. down to things at the real top end and the high end, mm -hmm. you know, of the industry, do you get into things like catering where people actually want the food to match a color scheme or, you know, the, the, yeah. how much detail does it go into? Yeah, so we did a really wild event actually at a, at a great hotel in Toronto called the Fairmont Royal York. It's, it's you know, one of the epic Fairmont properties around the world. Um, <laughs> and we went to their chef because the client was looking to do a uh, 70s themed event. They were celebrating their 50th anniversary or whatever. So they were looking, okay. you know, towards bring a 70s theme event. And we actually decided that we were going to make the hotel buy, um, there's a brand of, of kind of serving ware called Le Crusette. And so course, it's very, yeah. of course, and it's very colorful and it's very bright and it's very 70s. And we had them create um, food stations using Le Crusette um, serving pieces. And yeah. we had them make like pineapple upside down cakes and things that were very akin to fondue. what that age was. Please tell me there was fondue. There was fondue. There, there was a ton <laughs> of great 70s style food. Um, lots of pineapple on the menu for some reason. I guess in the 70s, that was a thing. But so we would delve into that. And that's how we're able to, that's why we refer to ourselves as not an event company, but a live experience firm. All mm -hmm. of that goes into the overall experience of a client. And that's what's become really important in the industry. How, how do you make that work for you, though, from, from a business point of view? Because you rightly point out that, you know, you would take a producer who would get all these different elements in and there'd be that fragmentation because nothing was joined up and they would then look sure. to make a little bit of money. That's still ultimately what you're, you're looking to do as a business. You, you're in business to make money. Of course. Um, so you've still got to pull all of those elements together, but arguably with a more creative element added to it and still make money yourself. You know, what, what, what differs from you guys doing what you're doing to the, to the producer setup that you alluded to. So I want to delve into some of the, the business items as we go along over the next 20 minutes or so. But um, for me, it's really key that, that event companies understand transparency, right? So there's this really shitty connotation around the industry 
factory that event planners, you know, they, it's okay to upcharge and to hide things and to, you know, at the end of the day, if a client's paying $10,000, it really doesn't matter what, you know, the event planner is paying. And, and that's bullshit, right? Because you need to be transparent with your fees and how you make money. So um, we do two things. We, we have a line item in our quote, which is a client investment. And essentially what it is, it's a percentage of the overall spend or a flat fee for something, some uh, companies or organizations that prefer that. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing that we have in our quote uh, is that we keep any professional discounts that we get based on volume spend. Right. Yeah. So the math is very easy for us. And we're able to say, look, I can go get you a couch rental for $200, whereas you would pay $250. Right. So I show the math and I say the retail is 250. So what the client does with us is never pay over retail. Our formula is really, you know, somewhere between around 20% in the front and then 20% in the back. And it's simple, straightforward math. Everyone sees it. They can appreciate that they can't get the deal on the one side because they don't spend money. And they can appreciate that what they're paying us for is our time, our creativity, our vision, which they can't get. Anyways. Well, this is exactly good with the point I was going to make back to you there is, is, is that expertise element that people shouldn't shy away from if they are confident in what they do. And if somebody's hiding their own costs within the overall budget and not being transparent, that to me suggests straight away that that's because they're, they're not 100% confident that they're offering good value for money. I totally agree. So interestingly enough, I had a conversation with someone the other day where they were saying to me, the client wants to know what the ROI is on my services. And I said, here's two issues. Number one, ROI, return on investment is a bank term. Yeah. Right. So a client shouldn't give a shit what your ROI is because you don't have one. Right. Yeah. What you should have is an ROE or return on engagement. So where are the metrics behind what you're doing for a client event, for a conference, for a trade show, the return on that engagement, you know, for, for other industries would be, well, if X amount of people tried my coffee sample that day and then you know in the following week in that region we saw x amount of increase in sales your return on that engagement at the trade show right is the it, it, that's how you're able to measure your roi later because people yeah. start spending money yeah in our industry that really doesn't happen we throw yeah. parties so the return on engagement is uh do you have more productivity in your office if you threw a staff event yeah. Right? Are people working longer? Are they working, you know, differently? Are they maybe more collaborative because they just partied with each other and got wasted and now they feel really friendly and chummy, right? And so they want to work together. Yeah, turnover, even things like that, you know, big companies, yeah. you know, has staff turnover decreased, you know, because people Absolutely. are more loyal to the company because, you know, they've had a great experience there. Um, and sure. there's, all, there's, there's all those sorts of elements. And, and I'm, I'm with you on the whole ROI thing, because I think, you know, people, money men and, and accountants and, and, and people will sit there and say, right, what was our ROI in that particular event? And right. it's so difficult to gauge depending on what the event is and what the objectives were. You know, Absolutely. if your objective was an award ceremony for 400 people and 400 people turned up and you gave out 30 awards, then objective achieved, you know. <laughs> right, for sure. Yeah. And you know, it's funny because people don't go to marketing companies, for example, and I like to compare this industry, although it's full of a bunch of weird people, but I, I like to, to compare this industry to other professional industries, right? And so you don't necessarily have clients that go and build a new website, for example, and go, what's our ROI on that? I mean, sure, for, especially for a creative firm like mine, can you look at it and go, well, I got three more requests this month 
for for jobs because I built a new website. So my ROI is three new requests, yeah. maybe. But what you want to see is you want to see people staying on your website longer. You want to see them, you know, taking the opportunity to look at the pictures on your website, to yeah. digest what's there, to understand your service offerings. That for me is the return on engagement. So when we when we post something especially pictures of new events and stuff like that. We want to actually see the time spent on our website increase slightly because we know now that people are going through that new folder of pictures. Does mm. that make me any money? No, but does it buy me credibility and, and a better audience? Of course. Yeah. And, and it's the same, you know, in, in advertising, you know, people, what's our return of investment? You know, you may undertake a 10 year advertising campaign purely to improve the way that your brand is thought of with any particular industry or consumer marketplace. You might not see sales increase at all. It might just be that it's done purely to change the brand perception of that and how it's positioned within a given industry. And sure. And I mean, let's be honest, like we're, we're not companies like Nike or Amazon or whatever else, but when Nike goes out and they roll out a campaign around Colin Kaepernick and kneeling during the American Anthem and things like that, they know, okay, we've paid Colin Kaepernick X amount. We paid this amount in, you know, advertising and whatever else yeah. our sales have increased by this. Therefore our return is, is pretty straightforward. We don't really get that, right? Because number one, we're not spending the kind of money that allows us to see specific ROIs. I'm not going to do an international advertising campaign, right? I, I can, I, that's not for me. And so I don't see ROI on that. I'm not going to hire um, a celebrity spokesperson, although it'd be kind of fun, <laughs> it'd be cool. Right? <laughs> right? That'd be fun. Um, but but I, I'm probably not going to do that. So there is no correlation between here, I'm going to give you some money and let's see how much money I get back in return. Yeah, yeah. I can see Mr. T doing adverts for Fifth Element Group um, next week. Oh, you know? that'd, be, that'd be amazing. That'd be amazing. <laughs> pulling up in the A-team van and helping your guys, you know, unload a load of equipment into it. For sure. Day. And he'll be like, book your event, sucker. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I, I'd love that to happen. I'm... I'm, I'm um, uh, you said it this, uh, before we started recording today, ask you anything. So to, yeah. I, 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 I sort of am. I'm, I'm, uh, are you amazed at how uh, big budget events are often run and ultimately managed by people who have no clue what they're doing? Um, I would say most of the industry has no clue what they're doing. <laughs> um, and so, no, I'm not amazed. I, I think, you know, for me, what I look at again is the idea that... Um, in our industry, and, and I'll touch on this very briefly, but in our industry, we have a very large fundamental problem because, and more over here on, on this side of the pond, I really love the way a lot of the UK companies run and, and the European companies. And I'm a big fan of, you know, first events and, and GPJ and mm. Bogdoms in Germany. And I think the North American industry is far more messed up. I'll tell you that right now. Really? Um, absolutely. But what, uh, what I will say is this, uh, over here, what we look at is, and our biggest threat and our biggest challenge is that we are fragmenting our industry. So the, the hot term here is, oh, I'm going to go out on my own. And what does that mean? It means you've worked for a company for 18 months, you've gained some knowledge, you maybe have managed a few events, and now you want to be your own entrepreneur. But just because you have a great skill, it doesn't mean you should be your own entrepreneur or your own yeah. boss. Sure. And so what's happening here, right, is that we're fragmenting the industry, okay? And so everyone's kind of on their own. Now, 
if I'm doing an event and I think my fee should be $30,000, someone who worked for me a year ago and now works in their basement and they're trying to scrape enough money to pay rent and whatever else, they're probably willing to do something similar or try to do something similar for half the price. So we're lowering the bar right there. Now, advertising and marketing agencies, however, have a huge step on us because what they do is they sign clients to what's called an agency of record contract, right? Right. And very simply, if, if advertising, marketing, PR firms decide to add live events as a line item in there, we're fucked. (laughs) <laughs> and then, and then what they do is they, they, they take, you know, they hire a staff of four or five people for live events or live experiences. They yeah. put them in a room and that client's paying $175 an hour per person in there. So you have your producer, your creative director, whatever else in for events and advertising companies are now seeing the opportunity where we are losing revenue to make revenue. Yeah. And that's because so, as an industry, we, 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 we speak about the power of live events and how more and more companies now, brands, whatever they are, organizations see the value in face-to-face engagement, whether that's brand activation, whether or not that's an award ceremony, whether or not that's a, a live music event, it could be anything, but because so many more companies see the power in it. It's like anything. If people smell a, a sniff of cash, that's it. That they will say, right, we need a slice of that action. You know, right. why are we well, every, not making class of this action? You know, the other issue is everyone talks about our industry being about hugs and not handshakes. Like, I've never hugged anyone to close a million-dollar deal. <laughs> <laughs> right? I've signed a piece of paper, I shook a hand, and I get to work, right? I, I, don't, I don't hug, you know, Mr. Smith, who's about to hire me to run a national sure. Sure. live event campaign, right? And so I think that whole thing is just nonsense, I think that our industry really, really needs to come to grips with the idea that we just can't be, we need to be a business, not an industry. Mm. We need to understand that it's okay to compete. It's okay to be friends too. You know, I would imagine the chairmen of, of all the big banks anywhere, I would imagine somewhere secret they get together and they drink a lot of scotch and they have some fun for a couple of days, but they don't necessarily do business together. They go after each other. Sure. Right. Same as every other industry. Now, it doesn't mean we can't be friends and we can't go to conferences and continue to get drunk and do, you know, those things all happen. Right. Yeah. But what my suggestion is, is that as soon as you go after somebody or you try to compete with someone in this industry, they start talking shit about you. And, you know, they go to the local association meeting and, oh, this guy's trying to go after clients and this and that. Of course I am. Fuck! Do you think I'm in business for? We're in business to do business, so let's do business. To quote Montgomery Brewster. Um, there you go. We're in business to do business, Absolutely. so let's do business. Right. I, I'm, 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 I'm waiting for the day as well that comes out. You've reminded me of something that I thought of a few years ago. And and if you talk to a lot of old bands, and I know Metallica said this, yep. um, Judas Priest, um, Saxon from from the UK, mm-hmm. they all watched Spinal Tap. Yes and didn't laugh because they knew that it was a piss take. They sure, knew yeah. that it was a, a, a mockumentary, but they were staggered by how accurate it was in its portrayal of the ineptitude of this band. Yeah. Uh, and, and it was so real to life. And I, I, I'm almost waiting for somebody to make a movie or a sitcom about a bunch of um, event organizers. Cause I think oh, that there's, there's, sure. there's, there's just so much material there waiting to happen. Yeah. And you know what? I think it's, it's, it's such a joke when you look at, you know, I mean, if, if I said to you and you've done hundreds of podcasts like this, 
I, I guess so, you, yeah, yeah. Give me the three major regulations in our industry that are, or, or give me two barriers to entry in our industry. I mean, can you imagine, for example, that in our industry, there is not one barrier to entry. In fact, the most common basic business principle is what? Have some capital and start a business, right? Yeah. An event planner can start a business with zero capital, a business card, and an iPhone. Absolutely, they can. Absolutely. And, and so this, this, this opens up another avenue of discussion, though, because sure. uh, the, the, you know, the obvious example to me would be somebody like a lawyer or a doctor. They've got to go to medical school. They've got to study. They've got to get that qualification. Without that qualification, they cannot practice. Absolutely. It is that simple. And yet, and yet, certainly in the UK, and I don't want your, what your experience is in, in North America and in Canada, but um, there's actually people in the events industry who look at people coming out of university with event management degrees who frown upon it because they're like, what, mm -hmm. what the hell can you learn about running an event in three years at university or college, mm -hmm. you know? Uh, sure. And there's, there's sort of different trains of thought of, of you can only learn hands-on and it's strange that sort of way of thinking like you said that there is no minimum requirement sure. required for this industry you know my, my my very good uk friend dr james morgan who i know is a friend of of, of who i know very well i know very absolutely well. hello james if you're tuning hello, in hello james it's good to see you. you know i think i think he would be a wonderful example of uh how an education can innovate an industry, mm -hmm. right? And not only is he a friend, is he a wonderful guy to talk to, but I love following what he does. I love seeing how he's trying to innovate. And it's because of his education and knowledge. When I introduce him to people, especially when I go to IMAX and things like that, yeah. I always make sure to introduce him as doctor. Yeah, and, and to put it in context, for, the, for our podcast followers who, who, who don't know who James is, James is Dr. James Morgan, PhD, and he is senior lecturer at the University of Westminster. Absolutely. He also created the Event Tech Lab, which is a great um, business and agency and consultancy that he, he set up to um, help support tech companies entering the event yep. industry. So Absolutely. James is a well-known figure for, for anybody who isn't aware of him. Look him up. And he's, he's, he's quite a nice guy when he's not being an asshole. Which is... <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the nicest thing I've ever heard said about him. Sorry, James, we're, we're, we're mocking you on a podcast that you're not even part of. You're not even part of. Bless you, sir. Bless you. That's okay. But, you know, I also think in, in the UK, one of the things that you guys see, you know, I have some wonderful friends, Tony Griggs and Lena Clois, and, and a, a bunch of great friends in the UK, and they all understand the value of building companies. Yeah. But here on this side of the pond, they don't get it. And so there are no, you know, I always say to people when I'm, when I'm in front of them and they start shaking their head when I'm talking about making money and stuff. And I say, tell me this, tell me some rich event planners. Yeah. Because why the fuck would you do anything if you don't have the opportunity to get rich? I get that it's not everybody's goal. I get it. Mm. But when you get into a business, you set goals for yourself right now. Rich is subjective. Absolutely it is, yeah. But for me, I look at it and go, who is the, who is the, and maybe, maybe, you know, maybe you guys have a better idea than I do, but who is the Bill Gates of our industry? Yeah, I, I, it's, it's hard to say that. And I think that's the other, the other thing, good or bad, is that everybody does have, their, have, have a different objective in life, doesn't they? Sure. And certainly in this industry, people have a different objective. Some people want to start an events planning agency on their own with their iPhone, 
and and, sure. and, 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 and a business card and they sure. want then a staff of 30 people in two years time and to be working with blue chip companies and everything you know i went into business for myself nine years ago i like the fact that i work on my own i'm a freelancer sure. i'm a one-man band i work with other people every day you know Absolutely. that's great but my goal was to just you know, earn money doing something that I enjoy doing and being Absolutely. purely in charge of myself and not responsible for anybody else. And I respect that. And everyone's got their own thing, right? For me, you know, I have two avenues because not only do I, you know, speak out on the industry and stuff like that, but I've got a family to feed and, and I do want to have a successful growing business and scaling is impossible in this business because when you get to a certain point, people go, oh, I want to do my own. I want to go out on my own. Now I have an amazing team of people who are all, you know, very good at the jobs that they do. And I feel like these are people who want to be part of a team long term, but it takes a long time to get there. Um, you know, and, and, you know, I count myself lucky right now, but I look around and I ask people, where, where is the, the Bill Gates of our industry? Right? Yeah. Where is, who's the Amazon of events? <laughs> Because there are lots of companies doing a lot of work, right? Yeah. But and there will be big companies regionally in places. You know, a company will consider themselves to be a big player in a certain region, but sure. you could go to another territory and they say, well, we've never heard of you. You know, what Absolutely. You, you know, tell me if, if you, I mean, you could create a list. And, and look, there are some, but at the end of the day, how many companies have 10 employees plus and do $10 million of business a year? Very few. Right. And so my thing is there are tons of companies that have one or two employees and do 600,000 a year. Right. I don't know why those companies aren't getting together and going, we just went from two employees and $600,000 to six employees and $1.8 million. Hmm. Now the, the, only, the only, the only time I can see that not working, but being viable is, is, is entrepreneurs who, want to increase value in their business in order to sure. sell it. Yeah, oh, I, don't, I don't know many event organizers or people who help plan and produce and execute events mm -hmm. who go into that business to then sell it on something else. It's different in the tech industry. You, you know, you, Absolutely. You, you know, you've got let, one, two guys, let's grow quickly over three years. Let's grow the value of the company rather than make loads of money. But then our ultimate goal is to sell it or be bought out by a bigger guy. And then that's where we'll make our money. You know, um, sure. to me, the events industry is totally different like that because it's, it's built on a loyalty and a repeat business ethic that if you get it right there is that's where your long-term growth is that i think is not as obvious in other industries well i think it's mindset right so for me i mean perfectly transparent i i speak to people all the time about this i get phone calls i'm in the third largest by volume uh and spend market in north america right right behind la and new york and right beside chicago and so I get calls all the time, especially from American-based companies and a couple of UK companies, which have said, we need a presence. We need a presence. Are you willing to talk? And I've talked to so many people who are like, oh, I would never consider that. And my answer every time is absolutely. Because yeah. I'd be a shitty business person if I wasn't open to listening to strategies and ideas and thoughts that might make me better. And to be honest, to own, you know, you know I always say to people, owning 100% of zero or owning 50% of something, something. better, yeah. you're, you're, you're better off, right? And so for me, it's about the opportunity, and I, I go back to the beginning, to create the world's best live experiences for companies that rely on me to do so. And if 
any solution gives me the opportunity to do, to be better at that then that's business that's business that, that's business ownership absolutely on the subject of solutions mm-hmm. um I, I, again i'm curious to get your take on um on solutions in the events industry that people have created where there is no problem to begin with there is a, we move on brilliantly in the events industry and there's so much yeah. more stuff that we can do now with with technology sure. and, and 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 stuff that helps us run and manage and plan and execute events content creation engagement with our audiences fabulous stuff out there but i've also seen a lot of examples where stuff's been created because there's a gravy train and people think right let's get on that gravy train and they create the solution to a problem that didn't really exist in the first place or they've made it even more difficult to deal with um i don't know what your take is on that and if you've had experiences of that and guys coming to pitch to you and say why don't you use this and why don't you use that yeah. So, I mean, listen, the first problem is that I think in general, our industry has a really hard time with listening. So everyone's coming up with something, you know, and, and um, you know, I referenced Don Berger. Don Berger um, was the, the founder and originator of, of Social Tables. Mm-hmm. And he came to the market with a product that people needed because they were relying on other suppliers to make floor plans and stuff like that. But I think the thing that he did so well was he listened. Yeah. Right. And he built a product that ultimately he sold for a shit ton of money. Right. <laughs> and he did well and he sold it to Cvent and he still is in that, in the company and he's still helping to innovate it and grow it. And obviously he has new opportunities now too, given, you know, his financial situation. You found but, capital that's available. Absolutely. But you know, for me, one of the things that, that I think is that everyone wants to jump, you know, five or six years ago, everyone was like, can I have a Twitter wall? Clients, every client wanted a Twitter wall. They really did. Yeah. Right. And now who asks for a Twitter wall? Nobody. I've not seen it in a few years. That has been right. overtaken with engagement platforms, you know, Absolutely. for Q&A and audience polling using their mobile devices, sure. rather than tweeting what they think and it going up on a wall, they can tweet a question to the guy on stage. Other yeah. people can tell them if they like that question and boom, there's, you know, you're engaging sure. with the audience. But my issue is that, and it's, it's exactly what you're saying in terms of engagement. I feel like, you know, people forget that the idea or the concept around events is face to face. Yeah. And so you're trying to sell all this stupid shit. You know, for me right now, the less technology I have on my events, the better. Technology is not helping me necessarily create what I need to have there. And, you know, I do this, um, I work a lot with, with FizzBash as an organization and, Mm -hmm. and David Adler, who is the, uh, the head of BizBash, yeah. he does this amazing thing, which they call a Jeffersonian style dinner. Right. Now, for, for, for you and I both, we're not, you know, when he brought it here, actually, we, he was trying to name it around an old prime minister and he'd have to do, <laughs> have to yeah. do the same for you. But yeah. nevertheless, the concept is that somebody essentially moderates. Right. And while the meal is happening, right, there is a question put out and you go around the table and everyone kind of answers the question. It's how you get to learn about Uh, somebody and get some information on somebody that you otherwise wouldn't know. Right. Right. And it helps to build that relationship. When I design my events, that's my goal. 
right? I want people to have one-on-one -on -one interaction or be able to build different relationships or memorable experiences with people because that helps to kind of make new relationships outside of that event and, you know, grow industries and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, you know, I think we're being sold a lot too. And I think it's because we have a lot of money to spend in this industry. Um, and I think we're very lucky and fortunate right now that we haven't been stomped on by bigger budget industries like advertising and marketing. Mm. But I, what I do think is that um, all of these tools and all of these things, if they're not helping you create better experiences for your clients, mm. then stop using them. Like everyone wants to map, mapping events. This is the thing, right? Oh, let's, can we map? And it's because clients request it. Right. And you go, well, if a client wants to map it, let's map let's it. But it, yeah. it. Right. But it may not be necessary at all. And, and that's not, and that's it, not to say it's important to say, that's not to say that none of this stuff is any good. It's about of course. like any element of it. If it's relevant to your event and it will help you with your event. Fantastic. Sure. But don't just use it for the sake of using it because it's a trend or you think everybody else is using it or, and, and also maybe have the courage of conviction to turn around to a client and say to them, I actually don't think it's, it's, it's going to add any value to you. You're telling me that you want right. to use it. Great. I can go and get it for you. But it, unless, you know, I don't think it's going to have, add any value. You know, I think people. Well, I get hired as a leader, right? I get hired as a leader. That's what people want, right? They want someone who is an expert in their field, right? And who is a leader who understands what they need. And so when a client sits down with me and they say, here's all the things I want at my event. Yeah. It's because they don't know anything, right? I don't go to the doctor and say, here's the tests I want you to run. Here's the medication I want you to give me, right? Yeah. That's, that's not what I do, right? I don't go to, the, to, to my lawyer and tell him what paperwork to file and when to object, <laughs> yeah. yeah. right? So I think it, the same thing applies, right? And, and I think that we need to understand, okay, great, clients have ideas, yeah. great. They like to be a part of the process because let's be honest, what we do is fun and can be exciting. But yeah. to be honest, they're also counting on me to say to them, stop right there. That's a fucking waste of money. Let's move on and do something else. Yeah, it is like going to the doctor when you're sick, but telling the doctor that you've already diagnosed yourself by looking on the internet. Absolutely. Right. I go to the doctor. I'm like, listen, my hand hurts. I have tendinitis. Yeah, yeah. Like that, that, that's stupid. What do you need me for then? On you go. <laughs> right, on you right. Go. <laughs> uh, right. Good. So go home and rest it and put some ice on. I could have told myself that. Instead, <laughs> you want the tests, right? And, and you, want people to, you want people to say, okay, I've studied the situation, whatever it is, lawyers, doctors, accountants, everything. I've studied the situation. I've studied what it is that I think is going on. And yeah. here's my recommendation. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and what, do you, what do you think of the subject of, of, of people? Like you said, you, you get paid to be a leader and, and to, to come up with ideas and to say to your client, here's what I think you should do. In my professional opinion, built on 16 years experience with this business, Absolutely. here's what I think you should do to that. Do you also agree that you need to tell clients when they're wrong, that you, have, you should have the courage of conviction to do that? hundred percent. That's my job. It's not even, should I, I'm, I'm required to, because if I'm giving the clients just the shit that they want, they don't need me. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So subconsciously they're coming to me because they're, they don't know. Right. And so they, they sometimes they'll do some research and they'll go, Hey, this, 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 or whatever else, but they're coming to me because they really don't know. Yeah. And I am not a sales company. 
I could easily say, you know what, those are all great ideas. Let me quote them for you and I could be done with the job. Yeah, they get that would be half a million bucks, please. Absolutely. <laughs> but instead, I really want them to have impact. You know, one of the one of the great parts about what we do, and I talked a lot about, you know, a, a lot of the challenges, but one of the great parts that we do is that we have the opportunity to impact um, a very large group of people's emotions every day. Mm-hmm. We can make people happy, sad, anxious, upset. We can, you know, motivate them. We can demotivate them. We get to do whatever we want and, and play with people's emotions. We're one of the very few industries that get to do that, right? Mm-hmm. It's like when an advertising company puts out a video online and everyone goes, this gave me all the feels. You better have Kleenex or whatever, right? Yeah, or, yeah. or sometimes beside an ad, you'll see like, NSFW, not safe for work, right? And you know, okay, cool. Like that's going to have that different emotion. For us, we are basically the only industry that in person live, we can impact people's emotions like that on a daily basis. We really can, yeah. And so from that perspective, when a client comes to me, one of the key metrics that we look at internally is what do we want people to feel? Yeah. And, and it can be as simple even for a business meeting, but what is it that they're supposed to leave feeling? Are they supposed to leave feeling like, okay, you know, 2019 was a good year, but 2020, we have two new products coming out and it will be a better year. Are they supposed to leave feeling like, you know, 2019 wasn't so good, but 2020 is going to be great. What, what's, what's supposed to happen? Because otherwise you're just doing a bunch of shit and it, it, it's meaningless. This brings us full circle to, 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 to back to one of the first points you made on today's podcast, which was talking about the fragmentation of the event producer who brings in all the different suppliers and the chair company and this, that, and the other, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. Um, and it brings us full circle back because unknowingly, by joining all of that thinking up and created something that has got a coherent message or branding or theming to it, whatever that sure. is, you are instantly going to have a bigger emotional impact on the people who are coming into that event as the audience or the delegate, whoever that is. They may not realize it, but if you could build event A and event B using event A's method that you, that you spoke about at the beginning and event B using your method and put the same audience into those two events, they would come out with two different emotional impacts because one's got joined up thinking and one doesn't. Now, if I could put emotional metrics on paper, that would be the best gauge for how good I am at my job. Mm. Put them into one event, put them into the other and see, see how they react. And, and Absolutely. I think the biggest challenge sometimes in the industry is that, is that we don't, we can't gauge when people have had a, a mediocre experience at an event. We have no way of gauging what it was like. You know, a lot of human reaction is, is subliminal. They don't realize that they've noticed that, that matches that and then that music tied in with that particular award winner because of the nature right. of what it is that they do. But you will notice if you went to an event that didn't offer that level of joined up thinking. Absolutely. And, you know, I think that, that people have become complacent in this, this industry in terms of, you know, how we operate. And I think that, you know, it's, it's really, it's our responsibility as an industry to start looking deeper into some of these items and saying, how do we know? Hmm. How do we know that we're reaching, you know, the right demographics, that we're talking to the right people, that we're doing the right things? Because to be honest, the design part and the creative part is fun. Yeah, it's fun for any company, right? It, whether you're marketing, advertising, PR, events, that's fun. And so what I find is that a lot of people are not 
you know, creating meaningful design because they, they want to be designers. They want to say, I'm creative. I like this. I know what the difference between a rose and a, you know, a different flower. I, I get it. And so I can do this. Right. But the interesting part is when you look at it and those companies all say, you know, leading industry event design. And it's like a rose in like a bud vase. That's the <laughs> picture on a table. And they go, we're industry leading event designers. Like that's, you know, nonsense, um, uh, rubbish, as you what would that, say. What does that mean? What does that actually mean? Right. And so I, but what, what I'm getting to is that we're not measuring that stuff because I think most clients who don't have, you know, major, major budgets are okay with status quo. They're okay with saying, oh, we're going to throw a party. And it's those clients also that are going, well, maybe we won't spend quite as much here and let's reduce here because why would they spend more? What's the reason? Yep. It's not brand loyalty. If they don't understand the difference in quality of work and they're not seeing any metrics at all, why spend more money? If it's not for quality, it's not for brand, and it's not for metrics, who the fuck cares? You might as well put a rose in the vase and call it a day. <laughs> that's, a, that's a brilliant way to summarize everything that we've spoken about today. And, and, and forgive me for, for interrupting you, Aaron, because no. it's one of those episodes today where I feel like we could go full Joe Rogan and go for the full three hours. But sure. we are at the end of time on today's podcast. And it's been, it's been a brilliant conversation. I often have notes prepared prior to the podcast and things that I would like to ask the guests. I can genuinely say to everybody that Aaron and I met on, on, on the link a couple of minutes before and we just hit record and said let's let's go wherever we go and those when you get a good guest on the podcast you don't need the notes you just need somebody who knows what they're talking about and uh a tip of the hat to you sir that you are one of those people today thank you very much for joining us of course you know i hope that we while people are listening whether they're in their cars or um you know getting to work or getting home from work or maybe just with a with a glass of wine i hope we're inspiring the industry to be better yeah, absolutely. I hope we're inspiring people yeah. to to raise the bar. I'd love to do a part two with you um, and get more into some of the topics. I'm always down for that, but it's, it's I, I hope we're 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 giving people some motivation to be better because as an industry we need it. Um, and so, you know, I, I'd be happy to to give out some of my some of my information. So Absolutely. That, well, I was I was going to say before we wrap up today, we, we always say to our guests, if you know, if, if our listeners want to get in touch, if they want to find out what you're up to, just follow you on social media. Absolutely. Give us all, give us all the necessary info, websites, handles. How do people do sure. that? So, website is fifthelementgroup.com. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram at fifthelementgrp. Uh, you can certainly find me on LinkedIn um, and uh, where else? I mean, all, Facebook, obviously, you can, you can find us. Um, the best place for me is, is LinkedIn. So if you want to connect with me, please, by all means, do so. Um, I'm regularly out speaking all across North America and into Europe. So uh, I'm happy to come and, and uh, shake up the shit if, if you know, <laughs> that's something that you guys need. Um, I also want to let you guys know that this will be the last interview and podcast I do as the chairman of a, an amazing organization called the Search Foundation. Right. Um, the Search Foundation is an international organization that raises money for event professionals in crisis. Uh, right. I've been honored to chair the organization for three years, and that's searchfoundation.org. Um, yeah. Otherwise, feel free to reach out to me anywhere, anytime, ask questions. I'm available for speaking gigs. And uh, <laughs> certainly, you know, I would, uh, I I'd love to think that, you know, my legacy in the industry will be to uh, 
uh, have helped it move from, you know, I, I'm thinking it's not necessarily in its infancy anymore, but it's more like a toddler or a teenager. Um, and, and really, I'd like to help it grow up and become, you know, a, a good member of society and a, and a, a, a fine operating adult. And so, um, you know, if I can ever do that or ever lend some advice to be able to do that, just uh, reach out to me anytime. Lastly, my email, Aaron cool. at yeah. elementgroup.com. So happy to happy to chat. Fantastic. Aaron's been a fantastic guest today. Aaron Kaufman is the president of Fifth Element Group, has joined us on the line today from Toronto in Canada, uh, and it's been a pleasure talking to you. If you've watched today's episode via eventindustrynews.com, please don't forget, on your favorite podcast platform, you can listen to audio versions of all of the podcasts, listen to them on your commute to and from work, when you're downtime, in between the events that you're working on. And of course, if you are listening to today's episode via one of those platforms, head over to eventindustrynews.com. You can see videos of all the podcasts. And while you're on there, you can also check out some of the features, the content and the news that's up on the website on eventindustrynews.com. Our thanks once again to our guest today, Aaron Kaufman. My name's James Dixon, and we'll see you on the next episode of the Event Industry News podcast. Goodbye. Thanks, guys.